Okay, so we're going to begin the Tuesday, May 1, 2018, uh, Iowa City City Council work session. First item on the agenda is to discuss the I-380 project input and next steps. So let me provide a little bit of background uh, for council members and for the, uh, for the audience. As you council members know, this is a revised draft of a letter to the director of the Iowa DOT, Department of Transportation, about the proposed widening of I-380 from what, Forever Green Road north to Highway 30, is that right? Thanks, Ken. Uh, I want to make sure that the final draft of the letter expresses the council's view and not mine. Uh, you know, I worry a bit that I got ahead of the council on that, so I want to make sure that whatever's in the letter expresses our view, not mine. Therefore, I'm seeking your feedback about two key aspects of the draft letter. I think they're interrelated, but the two are, first, whether the letter accurately expresses our views both in tone and substance, and second, what we hope to accomplish by sending such a letter to the director. And uh, in part, I'm, what I mean by that last, by the second point there is uh, the letter will also be read by our fellow council people and mayors and so on in adjacent communities. And as we know from our joint entities meeting, we want to make, and from our strategic plan, we want to make sure that we strengthen our collaborative relationships with those entities. So, all right, with regard to the tone, when you, led, when you read the draft letter, uh, you may have noted that I uh, posed some possibilities, but do you want the letter to indicate that we oppose the widening or have numerous objections to the widening or have several serious concerns about the widening or something else? So it's about tone. So if we say we have objections, then that's cut and dried and sends a strong signal to our neighboring communities. If it's one of the others, then it suggests that we're somehow open to some kind of discussion and some kind of negotiated uh, modification of the draft letter. So I need your advice. It would seem to me before we discuss tone and content that we need to decide what we hope to accomplish, because to me that can tend to direct the tone and content. Uh, fair enough. So let me get to that. I think that's reasonable. So with regard to the desired outcome, would you agree with the following statement, which appears at the start of the draft letter? I'm going to quote it. We strongly encourage you, the director, to facilitate and support careful analysis and evaluation of alternative land development slash transportation scenarios for the corridor stretching from Cedar Rapids to Iowa City prior to making a final decision to widen I-380 or, or at least prior to undertaking any further major projects in the region. Yeah. I think my answer to that question would be, I think, yes. I think that is, strikes the right objective. And I think that we should, I think when this first came up, I think the question is, is, um, you know, as Dylan once said, it doesn't take a weatherman to know which way the wind is blowing. And I think people felt, is this going to be a waste of time? Are we just sort of tilting at windmills here? And I don't think so, because I think the issue here is that 
they solicited public comment. So I remember when I had brought this up originally, it was in response to, to the DOT's credit, soliciting public comment from members of the public. Um, presumably, the reason why they solicited that is because they're in good faith trying to then respond to that. So I think that your point is really good, Jim, is that before we consider this option, which presumably is because of increased population growth and a view that we need to encourage economic growth in the corridor, prior to considering that option, to consider the alternatives uh, that, that conceivably are on the table first before we do that. So I think you get the tone right on that. Or the objective itself is right, and I think that, that and I think the tone so is good. What do the rest of you think? Yeah, I, I think the objective, um, as you laid out in that first paragraph, is um, is appropriate at this time, and uh, you know I think it. What th this is such a huge question, <laughs> you know, the transportation infrastructure, and uh, I, I think we need to try to. To express, for me, it's sort of following up on the the objective, on the tone that I would say serious concerns. To try to, you know, we're entering into a conversation on a topic that, from what I can tell, has not really been discussed at any great length, at least in the way that I've viewed it. And so I think taking a more kind of open approach and saying we have concerns at this point is is the right tone. To, to tie to our objective. Concerns, serious concerns? Does serious con well, I think serious concerns. I mean, the, you know, the, the cost issue, uh, the climate change issue, uh, the safety issue, all of these things are pretty serious stuff. So I, I would say serious is the right word. I would agree. I agree, Hill. So I don't think we want to go so far as saying we oppose. I don't. I think that sets us at odds with other people who really are set and ready to see this go. Quite frankly, I think it's going to happen anyways. But seems that way. I think at least if we start having this conversation now, maybe it will have an impact on it going to eight lanes, and you know, eventually. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I, yeah, I think doing the concerns are serious concerns, and I think. The, the objective or the accomplishment, what we want to accomplish in terms of that sentence you read, I think works fine. I agree, and I think the serious concerns does state what what you want to say in that letter with the, uh, as John alluded to, the cost, pretty high cost, uh, the increased traffic, that you make more lanes, you're going to have more traffic, where we'd kind of like to try to back off from that, which then leads to the safety concerns with more traffic, more possibility of accidents. I think serious concerns speaks to it. Let me ask a follow-up question with regard to the to the tone, uh, not tone, to the substance of the letter, of the draft letter. So my question to you is, are you comfortable with the specific concerns outlined in the letter? And I want to indicate before you and try to respond to that, that I went into a fair amount of detail here mainly because the letters go on to the director of the Department of Transportation. And I thought it, it, we couldn't just say, you know, uh, we don't like it. You know, we had to have some kind of rationale for expressing, for having serious concerns. So, but the main, main question to you is, are you comfortable with the specific concerns outlined in the letter? I would, I have a, a few, comments on some of the specifics. There's, there's a, 
a fairly strong emphasis on the idea of a, a light rail system. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and my feeling is, is that that would be, in my view, part of a long-term vision. I'm not confident even if we we do reduce or, you know, try to control the capacity of I-380 that uh, a light rail will be financially feasible. Um, but I think it it's something that can be put as a long-term goal that could eventually be implemented. Um, but, but my view is that it's trying to optimize the use of the interstate as we have it and also try to increase the productivity of the cities and towns that uh, are served by it before we uh, begin to think about how light rail might play into that scenario. So perhaps I need to alter that uh, that particular part of it. What, just to be clear, though, what I was trying to do was, first of all, say we we think the the uh, the DOT should support uh, you know careful investigation of alternative scenarios mm -hmm. that involve the interaction of land use and transportation. So I was just trying to lay out one possible scenario, yeah. and so maybe I put too much weight on that. I don't know. But Jim, I know you weren't referring to use the term "quote unquote" light rail, and I know that for our MPJOC, we've talked about Iowa City to North Liberty, and that that's not light rail, but it is a rail commuter rail system that will be used. Were, were you referring to that when you? Because I think that's a term of art. Uh, I was not, but that's a good point you're making. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, the point is, is we have something for the audience out there, and on PJOC, it's under evaluation. We're at a third-stage study. We're at least assessing the feasibility of an Iowa City to North Liberty, I think, commuter rail um, with a fairly reasonable price tag. Nothing's been committed out there. But that's something we are evaluating. So before that, we, we look at the projected... Uh, traffic count and, and benefit of that, we should look at first whether that will impair uh, that particular scenario as far as that goes. So, uh, yeah, so maybe I need to alter that to talk about commuter rail. And maybe I um, can't, uh, um, maybe I could get your help, not right now, but uh, in terms of uh, providing a very, very brief description of what's currently being evaluated by the MPOJC so that I can insert a little bit of that language into this letter? Yeah, I, I think that's a good a good idea. The, there may be other ways of supplementing the argument as well uh, by tying into the MPO long-range long plan, which is, I think, 2017 to 2045. So, so thinking in that time frame in terms of what the points we want to try to make. I was going to give it in my report later, uh, but I attended the ECIO CLG meeting last week, and they also are looking at alternatives um, as far as the, their corridor rides program and an express bus service. Of course, that's all the way up to Cedar Rapids, but uh, that could be involved in that also. Yeah, and that it is that is part of the letter. It, it, right. Part of the letter. One of the things the letter does is praise the DOT for supporting those initiatives, uh, but they're short term and maybe temporary and. So on. 
I guess, Jim, I really like the tone that you used. I think it is good, and I think in terms of the content is good as well, um, because I do not think it's intuitively obvious why we would support um, keeping it the way it is if we have concerns about traffic volume as well. I mean, there's this healthy debate within the traffic complaining community, including with Jeff Speck had talked about, induced demand, that by adding this infrastructure, you're facilitating additional auto-centric infrastructure, auto-centric development, and you could be aggravating the problem rather than making it better. You could be aggravating the safety by encouraging speeding between Iowa City and Cedar Rapids. These are not things that are intuitively obvious just by thinking about them. Um, so I think that's good to point out. And then if, if you do have, I don't want to do a ton of research, but if there are some illustrative points for purposes of establishing a link between lanes and fatalities or lanes and traffic safety, that may be good to illustrate the point if you can find that data out there. But I know it's out there um, as far as that goes. But I think it's a good tone. And I would just yeah. final one final point. I have no problem saying that we oppose that. I, I don't think that that's that rude to say. I mean, we can consider concerns from other jurisdictions, um, but they're soliciting public input which presumably means do you support or object. And in its current form, it seems like the consensus is we do object to it. It's not to say that we would never support it if these other things are addressed. Um, but I think we should draw a little bit more of a line and say we, we oppose it. So I would disagree and apologize. I was at a meeting up until 5 o'clock. Thanks for coming. And I did not speed to get here. But <laughs> we'll move that on. Um, ultimately, I would say uh, I wouldn't be more in line with serious concerns. I mean, if our if our... If our focus or our intent is to put the DOT on offensive, then maybe, or are on the defensive, maybe then we would continue in this way. But if we're trying to focus on it from a persuasion standpoint slash partnership standpoint, then I think that I would I would more be in line with the serious concerns. I also agree with Rockney as far as, well, it's not also, because I disagree with you on that point, but um, one of Rockney's points around data I think is important. And so there's a couple of areas um, focusing on traffic safety and other things that if can't, you can help out and providing more information about what that looks like. I think it just gives it more meat and more juice as far as um, how that relates. And I, I do have a, you know, we have to also have to remember this will be the director of the DOT. I mean, ultimately, they do have some understanding of this information. So I, don't, I mean, I don't want us to overlook the fact that they do have some of this data. And so if there's any data that we can provide that's maybe different or shows um, uh, other uh, other jurisdictions, whatever the case may be, when they consider this, I think that would be a little bit different than kind of how we're focusing on from that standpoint. The two issues I guess I have with the document in general is, um, you know, if we're going to say we're looking at alternatives or supporting the DOJ or DOT, sorry, I'm working with the DOJ and some other other stuff, the DOT with um, those alternatives, I think we I want to know what those alternatives are and how are we doing those things and what are we doing in, in regards to what the city is focusing on because this is kind of my first our first conversation on looking at transportation, discussing that. So if we're going to put it in the document, I want us to be clear. If they ask the question back to us that we can clearly articulate what we're doing in that effort to, you know, help with that partnership. The other piece of it is I would actually disagree with the tone. Um, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, if you want people on defensive, you know, exorbitant, questionable assumptions. I mean, if I was reading this document and I'm the director of the DOT, I, 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 would, I would make the presumption that you are assuming that I don't necessarily have any type of understanding of this information. And I think that's 
that may be problematic if we're, again, we're trying to look at it from the focus point of trying to persuade and trying to partner. But in general, with the content, I think I'm in line with many of the um, things with content. I'm, I'm not necessarily, I'm more on the fence, I think, than anybody else here about increasing lane traffic because if you if ever on 380, um, it's slow. Uh, I don't think there's any speeding that happens, and there's some significant traffic that I know that you know not only myself but all the other motorists um, complain about on a on a regular basis. And I'm sure that's where the DOT is hearing some of those concerns. And so, however, we can figure out a compromise, and maybe it's like a chauffeur for me, and we can figure out that in the city budget. Now we can talk about that later. But whatever we can figure out as far as a compromise to really focus on more of a partnership, I think that would just go better from that perspective from the DOT. On that point, uh, uh, my thinking was, and I've talked with Jeff about this already, uh, once we're satisfied with the tone and substance and you know our overall purpose, in other words, once I revise the letter just a little bit, given the conversation, then Jeff would share a final, that final revised draft of the letter with the other mayors, et cetera, in accord with the discussion we had at the joint entities meeting. And Jeff, I don't know, you and I talked about that a little bit, and I think you had an idea about how to proceed. And I don't know if you want to uh, talk about that right now or not. Well, sure. I think the, the question is, do you want to just send this letter off to the DOT director, and then you'll get um, some feedback from the other local governments that won't be positive. Um, it's pretty clear the other local governments in the region support this widening project. Um, and so that's really, do you want to take the, that extra step to say, here's a draft letter um, we'd like to send to the, the DOT, and we intend to send to the DOT, but before we do so, we'd like to hear your perspectives, and are you open to opposing viewpoints and perhaps shifting some language in your letter or <coughs> re um, refocusing on different components based on input that you may receive from Coralville, North Liberty, Cedar Rapids, or anybody along that 380 corridor? Yeah, my sense was that we did want to share the draft, I'm going to call it a final draft of the letter, so that, and then meet with them so that they can, you know, we can have a discussion about what's in the final draft letter. And then, then it's for us to decide what we want to do in response to, to that uh, feedback from them. But, uh, you know, in the spirit of collaboration and so on within the region, I think it'd be good to do that. I guess it depends on... What are we? So, are we collaborating or are we showing? I guess that's my question. Well, we're expressing a view initially, are okay. we? And we we are asking for that and, collaboration. There's uh, and then trying to be open to collaborating with the other entities. And I think during the joint entities meeting, I was hearing some significant support from various county supervisors, some interest on the part of some Coralville. Uh, council members are, um, and, and so on. I don't know where that'll go. I'm not trying to commit anybody to anything, but I, I think they would very much like to have the, the kind of working group discussion that I okay. mentioned during the joint entities yeah. meeting. Yeah, so uh, Jeff, my recollection is that uh, your, your thinking a week or so ago was that you could uh, specify a specific date a bit of time in the future here, I don't know how far, and simply say we, we would invite you, the, the, these other folks, to come uh, hear, hear us present uh, the essence of, the, of what's in this draft letter 
and, and also share the draft, final draft letter with them beforehand so that they come in informed and then we can engage in a conversation about that. Yeah, I think what was talked about at the joint meeting was that the, a mayor or an elected representative from each of the jurisdictions and if they'd like to bring along a staff member, um, they could do that. But we'd set up a time and then presumably the mayor or another spokesperson for the Iowa City Council would lead the discussion and kind of walk folks through the, uh, the draft letter and some of the concerns and see where the conversation goes report back to the council, then you can determine whether you want to make any edits before you send it to the uh, director. I think that's my, that's my, that's the crux of my question. If we're, if we're going to, that's not collaboration. Cause that's, that's saying that ultimately when people come to us and give us feedback, we're going to incorporate into the document. If we're not looking to do that, I would feel uncomfortable giving a document and saying, Hey, we're going to potentially take your feedback and send it anyways. That's that's just weird for me. Well, uh, speaking for my own self here, I'd say that what I would hope to get out of such a conversation with other mayors, et cetera, uh, would be information from them, insight from them, uh, some expression of values from them that we could take into account in revising that letter before we send it to the D, uh, director of the DOT. Okay. I mean, I would just be clear about that expectation then. Yeah, I, I mean, That's all I, I don't think you're going to, you're not going to send the letter and have a conversation and all of a sudden find all the cities are going to be in lockstep with you opposing this project. I don't think that's realistic. They are going to continue to support it, but it may influence the language you use, may influence the points of focus. I think the other cities, I think where there is common ground on this is frankly the alternative transportation piece. There is a, a strong base of support to explore commuter rail, to explore how to um, really make the express bus and the van pools a success so that they sustain themselves well beyond this widening project. I think that's where you'll find common ground, but uh, I don't think you're going to find common ground. I don't think you're going to convince them to oppose the project, at least the, ma the majority uh, uh, of them. Yeah, I think that's true. And I know uh, Ryan is uh, here from the chamber. Where, where are you, Ryan? Oh, sorry, <laughs> white shirt right in front of us. And, you know, I've had several conversations with Ryan about something like this, though Ryan and the chamber had their own initiative underway, so there's certainly some degree of compatibility there. Okay, I think I've heard sufficient uh, uh, input from y'all to figure out what to do, so <laughs> do I have your permission to work with Kent a little bit on this and revise the draft a little bit? And yep share it with the mayors, et cetera. Okay, thank you. All right, we can turn to the next item, which is to discuss information packet uh, item six from the March 1st packet regarding recommendations from black parents on youth needs. Uh, so this, as you council folks know, is, relates to a memo that Pauline and I shared with you a little over two months ago concerning a meeting we held in this room with several black parents uh, concerning what we could possibly, well, when we asked, when we invited them, we asked, we emphasized that we wanted to listen to them and learn from them. And more specifically, we wanted to hear their ideas about what Iowa City government could do to help our city's black youth feel more a part of the Iowa City community and have good pathways to a good future here. So that's what we did in the meeting. 
We invited 20 specific people, eight parents attended. Uh, my recollection is that all those, all of the eight were mothers, yes. or females at least, I don't know if they're all mothers. Well, I guess they were since they were parents, right? <laughs> Uh, and you know, we shared information with you uh, based on uh, um, uh, um, minutes that Ashley took of the meeting. There, there were a lot of there was a lot of conversation, and Ashley did a great job of uh, summarizing that. But when Pauline and I looked at all, all that material and recalled the essence of the conversation we had with those black parents, uh, we we thought that they were proposing at least four key actions that warrant our consideration. So what the memo does is identify those four key actions. And so um, we need to decide what we want to do in response to that and, and taking Jeff's advice uh, in terms of what the staff can do and so on. And so, on. so just for the audience's uh, um, a benefit here. I'm going to very briefly summarize these four key points. So in brief, the four key actions were, first, there's not much for kids to do here to stay out of trouble, regardless of color. The city could provide a place where black youth can go other than the Lee Recreation Center or Mercer Park. And then uh, that structured activities would be available at this place. Secondly, the place and activities would have to be well-managed with on-site guidance and leadership being provided by African-American Iowa Cityans. Third, the city could work with leaders in the black community and knowledgeable people at the university and Kirkwood to celebrate African-American history better than doing the Black History Month and MLK Day. And fourth, the city could help small or new community organizations learn how to write grant applications more effectively and, and therefore be more likely to be able to obtain small grants. So uh, the question is, what do we want to do in response to these suggestions? What do we feel we can do? in response to them. And there are all these other details in the, in the memo, and I, I have mentioned them all. I'm looking for your advice about these four things. Well, I think one of the places I would start is, is in the notes that Ashley has with some of the more detail. And, and I think one is actually sitting down with the kids and, and asking what they feel they're missing or what they feel uncomfortable with. Um, I don't feel, I don't agree, at least off the top of my head, that um, that there's nothing for kids to do in this community. I think there's an awful lot of stuff for, for kids to do. Some of it's related to the schools, um, you know, in terms of they offer a multitude of extracurricular activities. Um, we've got things through UAY, we've got things through the rec center. Um, now, it, it's a matter, I agree, it's a matter of kids finding their place and not every young person is comfortable in every single environment. But to, to suggest out of hand that there's nothing for kids to do, and I've talked to people in the African American community in this city who totally dis disagree with this statement. Um, so I think it's, first of all, um, 
I'm concerned. I didn't know this was being done, first of all. Um, I, I'm not sure. And I'm glad it was. I'm not disagreeing with that. But I didn't know this was happening. I think it takes a lot more than eight people, or should take a lot more than eight people, to direct what we're going to do moving forward as an institution as large as the city of Iowa City. Um, and so I think a lot more research. One of the things we've talked about repeatedly, I know Kingsley and I keep bringing up, is the multitude of nonprofits and even if they're not formal nonprofits, organizations within the community that are trying to do things. Um, from the Dream Center, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a 501c3 or not, to, to lots of other organizations. So I think we need to start with a more concerted effort of getting information from a broader range of people, especially the, children, the kids themselves. And I think looking at what kind of age range we're really looking at, because you talk about kids in elementary school, that's a totally different kind of activity and, and structure that you need versus kids in junior high versus kids in high school. So um, first of all, I think there's lots to do, but we need to figure out why certain students either don't want to do those activities, aren't comfortable with those, and what ideas they have for things that they would like to do and would like to have available. I appreciate your comment that there are a lot of extracurricular activities, but I think, I'm not certain if it's in those notes, but what came out of that meeting and what I heard at uh, the forums, which is, by the way, how this meeting was spawned from the, what we'd heard at mm -hmm. the forums, that the city's not doing enough to help help the black community. Uh, but what came out of it was that transportation is the issue. Yes, sure, there might be a lot of after-school activities, but a lot of these kids are from families, their parents are working, they can't afford a taxi cab, although some of the schools, uh, there is a a, a cab, taxi cab voucher program, but not a lot of them know how to apply for that. So perhaps we could reach out to the community and and uh, give them a better understanding of the options that are available for transportation for these kids, so that they can attend these activities. I would agree with that, Pauline. But again, that comes right back to the very first point of starting some new organization and providing some place for kids. To me, that's not where we should start. It if there's kids and students in this community who want to be involved in the extracurricular activities in the schools but can't do it because of transportation, then let's start with that and, and start talking with the school district about how we can partner with them. That, I think, would be, one, much more effective in terms of cost, and two, there are all kinds of studies that show that students who are involved in extracurricular activities at their schools are much more likely to stay in school and to graduate. So rather than starting new activities totally, dis, totally unattached from the schools themselves, if one of the big issues is transportation for activities at the school, let's start there. That doesn't mean there aren't activities. It, it's, a, it's a hindrance. I don't disagree. But let's start there. Let's find out what the real problems are. So, uh, uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, uh, first and foremost, I think I appreciate the focus. I mean, I think that as we talk about, um, you know, having a strategic plan that's focused on social justice and racial equity, I think it's incumbent on us for, to, not for, to um, focus on communities that are crying out and saying they want something different. So I, I appreciate that focus. I would say just based on this information that is provided, I think we need, we need some more. Uh, I think it's a great start to start kind of hearing concerns, as we've done in multiple other you know phases or iterations of different projects and other things. I mean, somebody brings a concern, we want to you know analyze whether or not this is a. Uh, 
an inherent concern or a concern across all the community or whatever the case may be. And so for me, I think we need more information. And so if this is, you know, and going back to staff, if this is sending the information out to different community organizations, getting more of a, a survey as far as, you know, what what our communities of color are doing, what are some of the issues, um, maybe focusing on the youth aspect of that as well. I think there's multiple indicators, as Susan mentioned, not only necessarily focusing on parents, but also what the youth are saying. Um, uh, and I would also be interested, and this is somewhat of the conversation that we've, we're going to hear, not necessarily later on, because I think we had a cap of 30,000 or 20,000 we were talking about um, what are what are our organizations that we're giving a substantial amount of money doing oh 20,000 20,000 so what of our what are our what are our organizations that we're giving over $20,000 doing to effectively address programming with our communities of color so that's another reason why i think this is still ever, I mean, ruminating in my mind along those, lane, along those lines, but I think we need more information. And so I think that's, to me, that's the clear next step. And I think these parents have brought up community concerns that have been talked about, you know, not only obviously in the forums, but for a while. So I'm glad we're focusing on these things, but I think that we need to do a little bit more. And maybe this is a framework for how we go out. And so using some of this information as far as a space. And so if you're, you know, um, sorry, now I'm trying to pull it up and I moved my finger. So a space, what does um, collaboration look like with um, different, the University of Kirkwood, with the city? Um, how do we effectively, I, I do want to make sure that as we're thinking about doing some type of programming or talking about this, how do we make sure that we're not, uh, we're empowering communities and not necessarily de-empowering communities by saying, well, here's this program, do this thing right here. You know, maybe there, maybe going back to Susan's point, maybe we need to evaluate the program and whether or not that's a program that communities of color feel comfortable in, in doing and um, having that type of support. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of questions I have in general around this. And so for me, it's it's a great start. And I, I love that we're having this conversation. I mean, this is probably one of my top five council meetings. Um, the other one, I think, is when you started, you know, getting up and showing a whole bunch of stuff from your trip in Egypt. But um, I, I think, yeah, Baghdad, sorry, Baghdad. Um, but I think this is a great place to start as far as having in the conversation what this looks like. And so for me, it would be we need to gather more data. I mean, that's my ultimate next step. You, you brought up a good point because one of the points that the um, women who were at the meeting brought up was that these grants that have been handed out to these organizations, who follows up on what do they actually do for the community and especially for uh, the, the children of need. Uh, so that's what spawned also uh, perhaps, and this might be something I think we could start with, it wouldn't cost a lot of money. Uh, they'd asked about a class or something uh, to learn how to do grant applications because from what I've heard, uh, some of these groups that get the grants, and we just went through that with the SGRE grants and, and the CBD grants, they have people who know how to write, write a grant application, and so it looks very beautiful. But some of these folks that have a good project but don't know how to sell it, uh, we could help them by, by doing that, helping them learn how to write a good grant request. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I guess I think really this is a good start. And uh, by hearing the people at Martin Luther King Day, and again, you follow up and coming and do this, this is really great. But also, I agree with Susan that it takes more than eight parents to, like, to know what's going on. But at the same time, I understand that there is many activity in this city for children. But all of them are expensive, even if we talk about the rec center. 
they're excellent. They provide some, like, I guess, uh, reduced fee or maybe free for, uh, for, for children, but not all the time and limited number of children. They cannot cover, or they don't have the, maybe the, the, the enough money to cover all the communities. And the thing that caught my detection is black parent. I guess this community, the minority, is not only black. There is Latinas, there is immigrants from different countries. Have we reached out to those people? We need to reach out to everyone and hear there is, like, what their idea is, what their input about this. And uh, as I told you, there is many activities. I remember in the, like, in the Sudanese community, we just want to keep the kids busy during summer. And I know that Sudanese community, like, kids of the Sudanese community like soccer. And we try to, like, create a soccer team. We have our own coach, but we cannot find space during, during during winter and again on the summer. And when we come to the rec center, we paying, I guess, $70 an hour or 35 I don't remember. But we were paying money, and we asked the parent to give us $20 so we can do that. If we can provide some space in the city for those people to come and do their activity, that's also, that's why, reach out to them, see what they need, what they are missing. You know, and also grant, that's a good point, because I know many associations, like the Sudanese Community Association, Latino Community Association, they do have association, but they don't know how to, like, find money or write grant. That's also a good idea. I guess, as Kinsey said, this is really good structure, so yes, we need to expand it and reach out to everyone in the community regardless. Yeah, I agree, I think it was uh, this, Listening post was a really good start, and um, in looking through the the comments, where, where where I ended up on this was the sense that, um, based on my my experience, that we needed a needs assessment. We needed to better understand uh, what the needs are. You know, we mentioned the idea of well, the needs may vary depending on age, depending on location. It's a lot of detail that goes into uh, trying to understand what those needs are. And then I would I would follow that with a an assessment of our facilities and programming, see what's missing, what you know, what what are the barriers to those things. Do you, do you mean just uh, city programming? Well, that, you mean in terms of the, 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 the process, I was seeing this as potentially a partnership between the city, the school district, school district. Uh, the uh, nonprofits, neighborhood organizations, uh, as wide array as. Uh, Basically, people who are interested in this and have a stake in, in you know, addressing the challenges that we're facing. I guess you brought up really good point by like school district because they do have a space, you know, on the schools they have like you know for basketball and for soccer for everything. If we can also like bring them to the table and you know like have their input in this if they want to do it yeah one of the things we heard from these specific parents was that they, they their kids for almost all the activities that are currently provided their the kids activities are very sort of regulated and the, the times are controlled the activities are controlled the kids are controlled and, and instead of having a place where the kids could go under supervision and just be themselves and learn some stuff, do some stuff that's fun. I can't fill in the details because I, I don't have the details. But 
that's definitely part of what we heard from these particular parents. I think Susan's clearly right that eight's an insufficient number upon which to base uh, decisions about programs and all that. But these particular parents were very clear uh, about uh, their sense that their kids and the, the kids they know don't have a place to go where they can be themselves under supervision. And it, from their point of view, it would be very helpful for those kids to be supervised by African-Americans who would act as role models and mentors. So, I mean, they, they were, those eight parents were very clear about that. But you're right about eight being way too small. That, that's a good point, Jim, because what did come out along those lines were uh, that they've heard from children that they're just standing on their street corner and people are concerned or get worried because there's this group of kids congregating on the street corner. And so that's what came out of that, that it would be great to have a place for them to go to congregate, to talk or, or help with their homework or those kinds of things. Not necessarily extracurricular sports, the basketball and the soccer, which is a good thing, but other kinds of social, social kinds of skills also. And Jim, I want to key in on that last point, because I, I, I did state it, but just to reiterate, um, I, I really appreciate the piece around ensuring that there's representation from the African-American community, because I think too many times, and you know, I'm going to make some people upset by the statement, um, you know, everybody's well-meaning and wanting to do something. And I think that's why we have so many nonprofits. And so the question is, is you know, whether we're actually doing the something that the other people or person wants. Um, you know, there's a lot of people can tell me what to do, but can I have an active role in, in actually putting together what that looks like for me? Um, and so as we deliberate, if we can, and that goes back to that, you know, socioeconomic racial equity toolkit, that goes to back to, you know, having those equity trainings and everything else. If we can keep that at the forefront of our conversations, I think we, we hopefully will end up in a, a, a good place, a better place than where we, where we have before. Not us, but where things have happened before. One of the things I'm wondering is, is do we want to, back to this question of, I think first to Susan's point, that was one thing I did want to focus on was we do have a lot of existing programs, so what part of those existing programs are we not adequately conveying in terms of what's out there, and what are the possible barriers of the programs? That's sort of the first point. But to Kingsley's point, I guess I would be open, if it's feasible, to solicit a specific proposal on a pilot project basis for us to work with our, our, our staff so that we're, we're actually affirmatively requesting, okay, we, we've heard your concerns, you have a proposal with more particulars and then let's work with you within limit uh, to try to make it happen. And it may not be feasible, but I think that's just something to, to think about as far as that goes. And the final, um, I guess more of a question, Kingsley, you were on the Ad Hoc Diversity Committee, so you would have more knowledge than I would on that. I think Jeff has some longitudinal assessment of that as well. For those set of recommendations that were made, did that include a youth component to it? My recollection is that it did not, because I also wanted to make sure that we weren't starting something brand new and ignoring maybe an existing framework that we already have. Um, but if it doesn't, maybe we do need to update that to say, hey, look, what are the blind spots we have as a community that we're not addressing? Um, I think where I can say that point, and Jeff, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, that was that was a clearly focused and targeted conversation. And I don't mean that in the bad way, I just mean from the standpoint of the charge, it was pretty specific in relation to, law enforcement. to you know, yeah, law enforcement and you know, transportation. transportation. There were some youth transportation issues, but not it wasn't extensive, right? not a recreational yeah. focus. Okay. 
And I guess the final comment would be is that, you know, we do, you know, I think staff does know the organizations that do have uh, their ear to the ground and are really connected to the community, but also solicit proposals from them in terms of specific recommendations that they may have in terms of ways we can more effectively serve. Because I think, back to Susan's original point, I think with the recommendations we have, at least in my view, it's very hard to sort of say, okay, next step, we're gonna do X, Y, or Z. I, I think we need to continue to have that conversation. I view this as the first step. I think we wanna make sure that those steps aren't so long that it becomes a process without an end. But we need to have at least some more feedback in terms of a more particular proposal, both from the community, as well as hopefully from some of the nonprofits that, that may be able to effectively work with them a partner on that. So that'd be my thought. I guess Jim, oh, I don't ahead. quite see us as being ready for proposal until we really know, until we really get more information. I, I, I really Sorry. think, I really think we need more information before before we can really. Otherwise, I think what you, I think what can tend to happen is you get a small group of people who get very vocal and or get the right connections and or find somebody who can put together a good proposal for them and they get something, but it may not be something that really serves the bigger need. And that's where I think we really need more information before we start entertaining any kinds of proposals. If I can make a suggestion, um, we have a, a number of our rec staff here um, in the audience today listening to this conversation. Uh, they have quite a bit of experience in the recreation field and engaging uh, different populations. Hopefully over the past couple of years, you've seen uh, some of the programming shifts that we've done and some of them have been one-off programs and, and experiments here or there, but, but hopefully you've seen uh, an effort to tailor more of our programming, uh, more programming to our minority community. I think based on just listening to this conversation, we can go back as a, as a recreation staff and um, work through some of the process. I think we know where the council wants to go. You, you want us to, to evaluate the, uh, the not, just re not just parks and recreation, but the community resources available for youth. Um, we may not have all the answers, but I, I bet we could come up with a, uh, a couple different options for process and, and maybe present those to you and, and get your feedback on that. Sounds good. Sounds great. Well done, Jeff. Thanks. Yeah, that makes sense to me too, Jeff. Uh, it seemed to me, listening to everybody up here, that we clearly want to build on the information provided here, recognizing that it in itself is insufficient, but it, it's something can be built on. Yeah, I think you. I mean, you've heard both spectrums in the conversation, from pilot project to a really full-blown recreation master plan. Um, again, completely different ends of the spectrum, and we can kind of lay out the pros and cons of each approach, plus maybe some middle ground uh, as well. Yeah, um, one other thing I'd, I'd, I'd want to point out is that I, um, I have the names of the parents who were involved, and uh, if they would be helpful. Actually, I think maybe you had a list too, yeah, and email addresses and all that kind of thing. Send them a follow-up. Uh, yeah, I, I have already, you know, a few months ago, told them that uh, I had prepared a memo and that the memo was going to be presented to the council, which it was in a packet, you know, eight weeks ago or ten weeks ago or something. Well, my but, question is, so we'll send follow-up regarding our conversation right now as well? That would be good. Okay, like that's what I'm asking. Yeah. 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 All right. Thanks. All right. 
Anything, any, any else, anything else anybody wants to say about that topic? We didn't, well, I, there's, One there's last something. thing, Jim. I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Were you about to say something about this last topic? Okay. I was just going to have one other point, yeah. uh, which we uh, apparently none of us uh, talked about. And it has to do with uh, the the third suggestion, was which was that we could work with leaders, the city could work with leaders in the black community and knowledgeable people at the university and Kirkwood to celebrate African American history better. And that would obviously require a lot of collaboration and everything. But there, you know, I'll, I'll speak as a white guy. Um, which is not hard to do for me. Hmm. Uh, uh, I routinely encounter new information, new DVDs, new documentaries, et cetera, that are really opening my mind a lot. Uh, and I, in my memo, I referred to Henry Louis Gates Jr.'s PBS series, Africa's Great Civilizations. There's all sorts of stuff that could be built on there that would be possibly uh, uh, interesting and helpful for our black youth for them to decide in the end, but yeah. When staff does that, the other thing I'd be interested in is, is number four on the grant writing. I know there have been some classes before, and I don't know if the university has offered them or Kirkwood or the city has, but if, if you could maybe just find kind of what's been done before and maybe how we could build on that, because I do think offering um, some opportunities for people to learn about grant writing would be a good thing, regardless of the rest of this. But I know it's been done. I just don't know how frequently or who's been invited or anything. Yeah, agree. The other thing I would just mention is just that conversation around space. And again, not to belabor the point, but I think we have to, you know, and we've talked about it, and Susan mentioned it as far as, you know, looking at current programming and nonprofits and other things. But there's been a lot of conversation, at least that I've been a part of, around, you know, is are certain spaces welcoming? And we've, we've talked about that, but I think that it was part of the. Yeah, I think that needs to just make sure that's a part of the higher echelon standards as we kind of deliberate, because I think that's a consistent concern that I hear on a regular basis. Um, and I just had the conversation um, with the downtown district as far as that as well, you know, asking, you know, how can we be more inclusive or how can we be more welcoming? Um, because as we know, there are, you know, historical implications with this conversation, but ultimately there's also history within Iowa City that has led, you know, certain communities not to feel comfortable in certain areas, even in our own town. And so I just want to make sure that isn't lost in this space conversation. I guess also reaching out to communities to know their interest. I know that maybe even at the rec center, like by the people come from different community, they, they know what they like to do. Maybe they can just also have like some comment on that, on the recommendation, yeah. That word collaboration keeps coming up. We were talking about it with the uh, 380, um, and I think again now that's important. I think even with the uh, a lot of the topics that come up that uh, we need to work a little closer. We're getting better at working with the uh, Iowa City Community School District because that had come up that, that they need to teach more of the Black history in the schools besides just on Martin Luther King Day. And I think they're getting a lot better on that. But also as far as um, the uh, training for jobs for future jobs uh, for them to have a place. In in, in the community, the ones that aren't uh, going to go on to college. Uh, so those kinds of things, collaborating with that, collaborating with the Sudanese uh, group um, and those kinds of neighborhood associations, mm -hmm. working together with them on, on finding solutions to this. Yeah. Okay, so Jeff, we, we hope to get some, we got it, constructive feedback from the staff. 
Good deal. So let's turn to the next item, which is clarification of agenda items. Item 4D1, appointment of student liaisons. <laughs> yep. Gustav Stewart. Yeah, welcome aboard officially in this role. Are we? Yep. This is isn't this a process? Do we have to vote on that? Mm. We do. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, We should make sure to give him nice chair. Mm. Let's, let's comfy it. chair. Exactly. Yeah, comfy chair. <laughs> I agree. But also Austin Wu. Hi, Austin. Nice to see you again. Hi. Looking forward to Austin working with you over the next year. Yeah. I'm still not sure about Gustav, but <laughs> we, can, we can move on. We can talk about it. Yeah, yeah. All right, other agenda items? Questions about them? I, I just would like to see the, uh, if you can look at the item number four, F8, a letter from Harry from State about blocking the curve cut. Hey, you, you want staff to look into that? Yeah. You know what we're referring yeah. to, right, Jeff? Okay. Yep. Yeah, good. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I have that too. And Harry was asking about raising the fee, There's, right. so there was that. Um, what I would add to it, at least in those areas where we do have lots of pedestrians, is looking, considering um, marking the curb with red paint. Uh, something I think there there seems to be a, a lack of understanding. Um, you would think this would not be as. <laughs> It's difficult. It's difficult to understand, as some people seem to have. But um, you know, possibly thinking about some red curbs so people know where they can no longer park their vehicle. It's, it's yeah. quite common for cars to stick out into the the curb ramps. I would suggest enforcement before paint and signage. You, you can see just the, um, the struggle that we have to keep up with our lane markings on, uh, you know, we're painting our lane markings every year uh, because of the, the salt and the wear and tear that they get. I've just, I've been in communities, I've seen plenty of communities that start the painting and it looks great for a year or two and you can't keep it up and you get, it looks pretty bad after a few years if you don't have the resources to, to continually put into that. But John, we, we talked about this earlier. We do not um, enforce distances to curbs uh, very proactively. Um, and it's certainly something I can discuss with the police department. I think on the topic of the fines for the curb cuts, what we would like to do, um, it's probably been a little while since we did a holistic review of those traffic fines that we have under local control, we'll probably just look at those holistically and come back to you with some recommendations, because there's probably a few that are a little too low. What Also, Jeff, what about with our communications department? I mean, they're doing kind of like public service type things every once in a while, even doing something related to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've done some, uh, yeah, I think in the winter, last couple of winters, we've we've done specific efforts targeting shoveling of curb cuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just as easy to do something on driving etiquette and, and rules of the road when it comes. Yeah, and related to that, because I had a, not a major incident, but could have been this weekend. Um, and, and I think with more bikers out and pedestrians out, I swear drivers do not understand that they're supposed to, when there's a stop sign or a red light, they're supposed to stop at that solid white line. And instead they go like way up into yeah. the crosswalk. Um, good luck training them, but it, yeah, 
I had a car that didn't get that this weekend. And I just want to ask you, is there is a sign, like, for fine if you, I don't remember, is there is a sign really over there for fine if you block the, the curb cut? No, there's no signs. That would take a lot of signs. We have, yeah, be a lot of signage. Like, how do people know? They get a ticket. <laughs> Just the ticket. So they they, get when you take your driving test, I mean, that's part of studying to, to get your driver's license is those different things. How far are you supposed to park from a fire hydrant? I know, but it's not like... No. Personal I, responsibility. I me, I'm sorry. I, Personal responsibility. Exactly, but you know. But the communication's a good point, Leslie, here, though. Communication staff does a great job of yeah. communicating, but I'm saying if that could be an additional point of emphasis, I think that's something where we could get that out, but I think that's a good point. Jeff, let's talk about enforcement for a Nissan later on. Thanks. Okay. On the slides, I'm thinking we've just spent so much money on, on improving our curb cuts and adding curb cuts that you know, we just can't have people just ignoring the rules and, and parking there. But as Susan said, they perhaps forget the things. They don't maintain safe distance. They park in fire hydrants. They park by stop signs. And they, unless there's enforcement, but our, our law enforcement are, are busy. They can't be just going out and, and watching for these kinds of violations. And what do you think about increasing the fine? Mm -hmm. That might help. That's my work. Because that would be another thing if it's repeated, repeated offenders. Yeah, because my understanding this. is 25, right? 25, yeah. Uh, 15, is that right? 15. I Only guess 15. Jeff was uh, 15. And they're going to look at that. So. Oh, oh yeah. that's really low. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess over stay on that 30 minute meter and I get $25 ticket. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess to cut, to block the curb, that's huge. It should be more than that. I really support increasing the crime. I don't know. We can talk about it more. We'll come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Any other agenda items? There was a, a long report from Project Green, which uh, I found informative, and uh, and uh, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't realized that uh, you know their work, uh, the, the budget for their for their work over the 2017 was thirty eight thousand dollars. <laughs> So uh, thank you to Project Green for that work, and also um, that they've been around for 50 years. And uh, 50 trees uh, will be celebrating those years planted at Ashton House, which I think is the nice thing I'm seeing at Ashton House is it's becoming, you know, bit by bit, plant by plant, kind of a destination garden along the river, uh, which I think is, is, is also a wonderful thing. And I think they have their plant sale this weekend at Carver Hawkeye Arena, I believe, Saturday. Yeah, the volunteers on Project Green deserve a lot of praise for uh, all the energy they put into their volunteer work, so I'm sure we all recognize that. Any other agenda items? Just wanted to mention 6A, the rezoning on Prairie du Chien Road. The applicant has requested deferral yep. on that item. So on that, uh, uh, Eleanor, you provide feedback about whether this is appropriate, but what I'm, we have to open the public hearing. Uh, and even I'm thinking at the very start of the meeting, I will just indicate to people that item 6A is going to be deferred. But if anybody wants to stay around and speak at the public hearing, they can do that. So all right, that, that's the way I'll proceed on that. Okay. And we're not planning to give a staff report yeah. on that project. I understand. 
Okay, I wanted to ask a question about item 4E2, which is setting a May 15th public hearing and first consideration for rezoning 12 Court Street from RM44 to RFC SD. Eleanor, are we legally required to schedule a March 15th public hearing and first consideration? because of the timing associated with May, May 15th. Oh, I meant, I'm sorry, I meant May 15th. No, you can set that hearing at a later date. Uh, I ask because my personal sense is that the information we currently have uh, in, the in the agenda packet uh, I personally find insufficient to make a judicious decision about how what to do with regard to rezoning. And I know we're going to get additional information uh, over the next couple weeks, but I feel uncomfortable about even setting a public hearing when, in my judgment, the information we currently have is really quite vague about what the rezoning would enable. I'm sorry, I was making a note. Which one were you looking at, Jim? Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's 12 Court Street. Uh, you know, the reason it's 4E2. Okay. It's just setting a public hearing in first consideration on that. I don't know. I guess my thought is we, we do have two full weeks with, you know, an agenda packet in another week, and we do get that other, our council packet four or five days before the meeting. Uh, five days. We get on Thursday. Our meetings on Tuesday. I, I would rather set the public hearing the way it is, and then if we really feel like we haven't had time to uh, consider all the information, then we could certainly continue the public hearing at that time. I think there's some value to having the public hearings because that's where you can have that exchange. I mean, if you, where you have that open public exchange about what information you think is lacking and what isn't as opposed to, I don't know where that conversation occurs if you don't have the public hearing. Yeah, I, I understand that. Uh, I, I think in part uh, why I asked this question is because we don't yet have the Planning and Zoning Commission's minutes from its April 19th meeting when it discussed this particular proposed rezoning. I understand they voted unanimously to support it, but I don't know what their conversation entailed. So I don't know what issues came up for them. I know what issues have come up in my own mind, and I don't need to go into detail about them right now, but... Uh, well, again, we, we may have those minutes before then. Well, I assume we'll we have those yeah. minutes yeah. Uh, before yeah. the... Before the 15th. Yeah. Like Eleanor says, I, I think lots, of, and I hadn't thought of it this way, I think lots of times, you know, when we do have questions, the chance to have that back and forth with staff and the developer about what our questions are, what more information we need, if, if we don't have that chance to have a conversation, they may not know what we need and delaying it might not still solve the problem. So when we have two more readings too? That, I mean, that's how you convey your, yeah. that's how you convey your thoughts as a council. Right. And that's really what needs to be conveyed. Not one council member, you know. It, it does raise, and this maybe this isn't specific to that item, but it's a a more general comment, and that is that uh, the, the type of content that was in that 
um, on that item, the, the amount of the level of information. Uh, I, I also felt was conceptual and diagrammatic, uh, and I, I spoke with Jeff about this late last week. <clears throat> the, you know, what I'm seeing is, is admit, perhaps this might be a, a work session topic. I'm not quite sure, but that um, back in the in, in my planning and zoning days, we would get a pretty detailed presentation uh, at planning and zoning where where the project was presented. Um, much more rigorously. It was not presented as a concept. It was presented as a project with elevations, a site plan, and so forth. And, and more recently, um, we've been seeing projects presented where uh, the, they're presented with, with the underlying, un, underlying understanding that the, the drawings that are being presented may not be the, what the project will end up being. They're presented as conceptual. And it's very difficult for me to assess a project when I'm, what I'm evaluating is, is something that I don't really have confidence. It's necessarily what's going to be the project at, at the end point. So, you know, I think, you know, there seems to have been a change in the way projects are presented. I'm, I would be interested in talking about it as a work session. I understand the other side of the issue that, uh, you know, there are concerns on, say, the side of the developer that, you know, they don't want to get too deeply into a project and into too much detail before they get a, an understanding of what the position of the council and planning and zoning will be. I think there may be ways of addressing that. Um, but for now, I'm, I am feeling, and, you know, I think the, the one on Court Street is a good example. It's, it's kind of a sketchy presentation as, as a starting point. Yeah. I, th I think it, it will be very helpful when we do um, see the minutes from the uh, PNZ, because as, as John mentioned, uh, it's come up in their minutes before several other projects. They have requested deferral because they didn't feel they had adequate information, that it was more of a concept, not they couldn't really grasp what the design and what it what the effect on the community was going to be. Uh, so I'm surprised they must have gotten what they wanted, that uh, they had the vote of 7-0. Seven, seven, I guess so we'll find so, out when yeah, we see those right, minutes. Right. Okay, well, my sense is that uh, the, the council would prefer to go ahead and set the March, May 15th public hearing. So uh, we should do that. And John, I think with regard to the, your work session idea, uh, my own inclination is to just have conversations with Jeff uh, in two-on-ones and that kind of thing about that topic initially, see how that goes, and then maybe if we feel what we need to, we could have a work session. All right. Any, uh, any other agenda items? Questions about agenda items? I'm going to assume the answer is no. So let's turn to the info packets. April 19. I want to talk about IB4. Which one is that, Maz? Uh, it's the opportunity zone. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like for the public benefit and my benefit, I just want to ask Jeff, our, one of the staff, to talk about it. 
and explain what it is and what, what the impact in Iowa City. Sure, the uh, Opportunity Zones program was established in last year's federal tax legislation. Uh, it uh, uh, created a uh, tax break for unrealized capital gains. So if somebody has some uh, funds invested in something that they haven't sold yet, that when they sell it, they'll have to pay taxes on that. It allows them to get a tax break on that if they invested in certain low-income census tracts that are designated by the governor. Uh, so the governor of Iowa had the ability to designate, I think it was was 62 across the state, uh, and we applied for four. We could apply for up to four, and two of those were awarded. So they're still uh, working out the rules at the federal level. Uh, the Department of Treasury is establishing how the program will work specifically. Uh, but basically, the longer uh, an investor leaves that money in uh, this low-income census tract that was designated, uh, the greater the tax break is on uh, taxes that they would have otherwise had to pay. Uh, so the uh, the, the census tracts that were designated in Iowa City, um, the one is, and this one was our top priority, uh, encompasses uh, the Procter & Gamble site, uh, which we thought was very attractive, all the layoffs that we expect to be coming there, um, and uh, the industrial area around uh, Procter & Gamble, which includes a lot of their supply chain um, uh, companies and logistics companies that will probably be impacted by Procter & Gamble shifting some of their operations. Um, that one uh, goes all the way to the river. So it includes Iowa City Marketplace, uh, which we've invested quite a bit of local funds in in recent years. Uh, it includes the lower half of riverfront crossings. And so that one we thought uh, within the city was by far the most attractive for reinvestment. Uh, the second tract that was uh, designated by the governor uh, is just to the north of that. Uh, it encompasses town and campus, or um, uh, town crest. So uh, east of First Avenue uh, and all the way to Scott Boulevard. So it includes a lot of residential area. Uh, there as well in some of the commercial district to the east of First Avenue. So those are the two that we got designated. Um, we're not certain exactly how the program will work. Um, that uh, we expect to come from the federal government within the next couple of months. Um, but we were very pleased that we had two designated. We would have, we probably would have been happy with one. So uh, we were pleased that the, the governor chose two of ours. And just to clarify, this is a federal tax incentive program. So right. this isn't offering local incentives at all. Now, we could choose to commit local incentives in a project where someone is also using the opportunity zones. Um, but the opportunity zones provide federal tax breaks. So there's been a little miscommunication on that locally as people are learning about that. We're not committing to just you know, to, to any really anything with the opportunity zones. We're just creating that opportunity by nominating these census tracts. Mm -hmm. Good, thanks. Yeah. I would just mention IP5. Could, could, oh. hold, hold, just one second. Uh, with regard to the, the, the opportunity zones, uh, we got this letter from uh, Director Durham, Debbie Durham, uh, about uh, notifying us that uh, two of our zones have been nominated. Have you already responded to her, you know, the, you know, thanks for the letter kind of response, or do you think that's appropriate? We didn't formally do that, but we, we certainly I, I, I'd be happy to sign a letter of that type. Okay, it's yeah. probably a good idea. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. I was just going to say um, IP5, Moody's uh, gave Iowa City a AAA bond rating again. Um, What's this, 38-something years? I'm not sure exactly how many, but it's a long time. And I would, it's a long document. 
Um, and I'm sure not one that most people want to read through in detail. But I think if you take the first 10 or 15 pages of it before you get into all the actual financial uh, details, there there's a lot of really good information um, in there, even if you start with the very first page of it, um, factors that could lead to a downgrade, um, weakening, weakening of our tax base or resident income, uh, material reductions of operating reserves or available liquidity, and that's one thing staff has done a really good job of, of building up our reserves. Uh, growth in the city's debt or pension burden. So as we've reduced our debt, that certainly makes us more attractive for AAA bond rating. And also uh, keep in mind that we're one of like 50 cities in the state of Iowa for whom our fire and police are under a different pension system. They're not under IPERS. They're under a, a, a much more expensive and a much uh, higher benefit uh, type program, but that is um, it is very expensive for us. And so I think as you if you just like I say if you flip through the first that was one of the things and I um, went through and highlighted a few others, but there there's a lot of really good information. Staff certainly um, did a did a lot of information. There's a lot of good facts in here when you scroll down to about the seventh, eighth, tenth page, information on. Um, our tax rates, information on uh, the amount of taxable property broken down by different type. So if you don't want to read, just, just kind of scroll till you kind of see the tables. <laughs> and there's there's a lot of really good quick read information um, that I think is very beneficial. But kudos again to, to staff, Dennis and all of his um, staff who do so much work in getting these bonds together. I know legal does as well as, well as our legal bond council. But, um, Really appreciate it. You know, along those lines, I think one of the things that I think we all need to do a better job of is this question of our recent property tax reductions in our debt levy. Um, I don't think that that's really commonly understood that that's actually what we're doing. We've received a lot of feedback, well, you know, how can you be reducing taxes where we have all these other needs uh, that we need to fund, which, which, is, which is legitimate concern, um, but in sort of additional funding priorities in our in our operating budget. So that's just more of a comment than anything else. Um, and um, and then the other thing that I just wanted to bring up is IP2 staff's um, very thoughtful uh, memo on participatory, participatory budgeting. Um, that's something to know that we've really tried to get out there. And I think that staff um, really struck a nice balance between you know trying to move that process forward while at the same time being mindful of the amount of resources it would take to do a full-out participatory budgeting process. I would like at some point in the future for us to consider more of those full-out processes like we saw, for example, with Evanston and Des Moines seem to be more sort of throughout the community. Sometime in the future, I think we can do that. I think with all of our, especially with our uh, all of our uncertainty with our executive staffing, we don't really, we're not really there yet. Um, so I, I guess my point is, is I'm glad I, I'd like to follow those recommendations that the staff had made the recommendation. Um, as far as that goes, with one with one change, one really good um, thing that Kingsley had done this year is the suggestion at the beginning of our budgeting process to invite the public. Um, whether we could do something at the beginning of our budgeting process that we did or review in January. 
if we could do something along those lines six months out, because I remember last year staff consulted with us during one of our work sessions to say, hey, where would you sort of like to see us go? We gave sort of some general parameters in terms of where we'd like to see them go, and then they went into their own detailed budget process in the fall. I would like to see us do that with a little bit extra in terms of inviting the community feedback for what their general concerns are and then to be able to move those into a budgeting process. So hopefully, I know with Kingsley's suggestion, it didn't seem to be a ton of extra work to add the, I don't know if I'm not necessarily in a, a breakfast or anything like that, but something along those lines I think we should at least explore six months out. I'm for it, do a dinner. Yeah. <clears throat> Your foot in the bill? <clears throat> something along those lines. I need you. One, one comment I would make on that, that uh, item is, and I, I agree with Rockney, I think, and I, I sense that everyone felt satisfied with staff's recommendations on that, but something I still remain interested in is the idea, say with the budget, that we st structure it in a manner where there might be two or three meetings out in the community. Uh, you know, we have three district representatives, that could be one framework for it and structure the budget with a little bit more focus on the geography that is generated by our districts. You know, this notion that depending on where we live in Iowa City, our experiences vary. You know, the, the, our understanding of the budget and our understanding of Iowa City will vary depending on where we live here. Um, so there's that, but the, the other value of that in my mind is it, it's an opportunity for members of the community to get to know one another based on their geography, which I think can be a useful um, connection. So it's not simply how we convey the information from the city to the community and, and that back and forth, but also the back and forth that and sense of connectivity that can be generated within the community itself. So those networks, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity, an episode like our party in the parks where community can, can meet one another uh, and form their own relationships and associations to, to better the community. Sounds like an interesting idea to me, but uh, I'd like to know what Jeff and staff think is really viable, what's possible, and you know, and be, I don't know if you have to answer that right now, but you know, how much time's involved in putting together a district-based summary of the budget, of a forthcoming budget, and then going out into the community in three different locations. I think that part's not so hard, going out to the three different locations, but assembling information. The, the districts district are rather places. large. If you're looking for, um, you know, geographies to come together and really bond, I, I don't know that districts are the right thing, because you know the districts well. They're, there's lots of uh, neighborhoods within each of those districts. I think it'd be hard to accomplish that goal with just three sites. Um, I, I think Simon did a nice job in the memo of really emphasizing what, what we feel is the best way to get input, and it's a little indirect, but it's through all these master plans. We've been spending a ton of organizational energy the last four or five years on master plans. We're out on the bike plan, the climate plan, the downtown plan, and park plan, and you know, on and on. And we get a ton of feedback that craft those plans, and then we plug those into the budget the best that we can uh, with the resources that we have. I still feel like that's the most 
effective way to to incorporate people's feedback into the into the budget. Um, when I talk to peers um, who do the kind of the Des Moines model that you saw a couple years ago where they go out into the community during budget time and they say what are your priorities it's really easy or it's common I should say for special interests to really latch onto those processes and so you're going to get a group that really wants to advocate for item A and they're going to mobilize and they're going to flood those meetings and they're going to tell you that's the most important thing and that's then it's hard to say no to that, even if you don't think that that's the top priority with everything else that you've got. So you just need to be mindful that that could happen. I'm not saying you know you shouldn't do it because of that, but when you go through the master plan process and you don't have the budget process kind of framing it, I think you get more genuine feedback. You get uh, um, uh, overall a, a better plan that informs the budget. <laughs> We can do, you know, the breakfast on a budget. That worked really well. It worked a lot better than I thought it would. <laughs> I give Kingsley some credit for that, and that was really thrown together in a matter of uh, a couple of days. It felt like Kingsley um, thinks he does something. So we can do we can do some of those things. Um, you know, we we usually uh, last couple of years we've spent a work session in August talking to the council about broad priorities. Yeah, we could probably do something to open that work session up a little bit and have something similar, you know, we're, we're like at the breakfast on a budget. Um, if, that's what you, if that's what you'd like, I'd start with that before you get into a deep community engagement process, though. Yeah, it was some, something along those lines. It's a relatively light framework. It's not overly staff intensive. And I think, yeah, it, it did have a big impact. So at least I'd like to see that. So otherwise, you're just going to proceed with uh, the relatively minor steps that are laid out in the memo, right? Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, hopefully you're, you, so tonight we're on Facebook Live for the first time, our work session streaming on Facebook. Um, oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. I take I back everything I've heard. Right. That <laughs> um, was already streamed through cable, but, you know, hopefully you see that we're trying to, uh, because that's the priorities that you've set for us, we're trying to open up the um, access to government. So even people watching this meeting um, can send us feedback, perhaps, because they caught it on Facebook uh, or they otherwise wouldn't have. Hopefully all that feedback you know, eventually makes its way to budget priorities, whether you're getting that feedback or staff's getting that feedback. And we're going to continue to try to do those things. All right. I want to mention IP number nine, which is minutes of the Historic Preservation Commission's March 8 meeting. IP 10. Is it 10? 10. Yes. All right. Heavens, I made a mistake. Uh, minutes of the meeting. So uh, it, just reading the minutes reminds me uh, that I, I wonder if if we routinely issue certificates of appreciation for all departing board or commission members who have served for one or more full terms. I wonder if we do that. And if we don't, I think it'd be a good idea. I don't know. Kelly, do you know? If I think it's based on, on each commission and, and what they do. I'd have to ask staff. Well, when I imagine serving on, say, the Planning and Zoning Commission for 10 years or whatever, some long period of time, I think such a person deserves acknowledgement. And any somebody who's been on the uh, Human Rights Commission for f three or six years, likewise. So I, I would encourage us to do that. 
IP7, the um, CPRB, the forum. I was going to mention that in, in the activities that I've done, but uh, since it's on the agenda here, uh, I, I know Susan was there. I'm not sure who else was there, but uh, it, it was a very good forum. I, I thought um, not really well attended, but uh, as usual, Chief Matherly did a wonderful job. He's, he's a very good public speaker and able to... Uh, uh, take uh, questions from the audience and, and answer them appropriately. And, and uh, so I, I, I thought it was a very good event. Okay, let's see if we can fire through the rest of this. Um, so our next info packet is April 26. Uh, IP number six is a memo concerning the city's open internet pledge and staff provided a very reasonable response. Uh, I don't feel any strong compulsion to sign the pledge given the fact that it doesn't really yeah. add up to anything really meaningful. Uh, so his... Yeah, and I think given staff's analysis of it, I think it gives people a false sense of what we're doing, given that we don't have control over so many of those things. So. I would be inclined not to. Not that we don't support it, but. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess any one of us could put on Facebook or tweet or whatever that we uh, support an open internet, and, but I don't see a good reason to sign the pledge. Where are we in terms of time frame, though? We were going to do a joint meeting with the Telecommunications Commission on the question of I mean, it's broadband where we're at in the community. Or that's still on the agenda, is it? I mean, it, I yeah, think it does it, It's on the work session agenda. Okay. Uh, and it's, I think we finally have a full commission. Maybe so, we could address some of these issues there, too. Yeah. IP number eight, KXIC radio interviews. So I know some dates that I cannot do stuff. I'd like to volunteer for May 23. Kingsley, May 16. Do May 9th. Is the 16th already taken? Did you do that, Kingsley? Kingsley's the 16th. Kingsley's the 16th. Mm -hmm. I'll take the 30th. Which day? 16th. I'll take July 11th. I'll take July 18th. I will go with Kenzie on the 16th. You'll double up with him? Yes. Uh-huh. Mm, June 6th. Is that still June open? June 6th. I think it's still open. It's an elder June 6th. That'll be it for me. Okay, Rockney, June 6th. How full are we now? Um, we've got June 13, June 20, June 27th, and July 25th and August, August 1st. I've got quite a few. Oh, I've got two in. Rockney, you've got two in, yep. right? Is mm -hmm. so uh, July 4th taken? You say again? It says it's a holiday. So oh, we're not doing yeah. anything. Apparently what not do you have in August? August 1st. August 1st. August 1st, that's the day I will come. I will be in the, No, I cannot Are you it. back? No. Oh, okay. I've been the airplane. <laughs> um, Kelly, could you briefly go through the list and say who has what? Sure. Uh, May 9th is Rockney, May 16th is Kingsley and Maza, May 23rd is the mayor, May 30th is Susan, June 6th is Rockney, July 11th is Susan, July 18th is Pauline. July 11th is Pauline. 
July 11th is Susan. Oh, Susan. 18th is Pauline. John, you don't have any yet. Yeah, Susan took mine. So. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. If, no, if, no, if you, <laughs> no, if you want those, I can switch. I'm pretty flexible. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty flexible. Well, I was just throwing out dates. Okay. Um, yeah, if you, if if I could have the 30th of May and July 11th, those were the two days. Okay. I, I actually had them in there. <laughs> oh, okay. Both, both okay. those, John. Give, give John my two. Then I will take June 6th. Is still open? No, Rock. No, okay, June 13th, and. Um, what else is still open? I'm sorry. June 20, June 27, August 5th. July 25th, and August 1st. I'll take August 1st. And I'm sorry, what did I just take? June 13th? June 13th, correct. Okay. Couldn't have hit you better. Are you <laughs> <laughs> I can do June 20th. Okay. So what are you still missing, Kelly? Uh, Oops, no. June 27th and July 25th. We staff could take those. Oh, I could do one of okay, one of those. Uh, let's see. I don't know. I think I could do June twenty-seven. Okay. You said July twenty-fifth. We'll take we'll take July twenty-fifth then. Staff. Moving on, IP10, the Climate Action uh, Community Partnerships, uh, it's a nice array of small grant initiatives. So thanks for putting the summary together, Ashley. Mm -hmm. Some of them are quite intriguing, all potentially fruitful. Anything else, folks, on that IP uh, information packet? It's just IP9. Kudos to um, Stephanie and Jody for the work that they're doing across the community. I mean, I know it's kind of getting routine now, but there there are some different things that we are doing that are that are really really exciting. I mean, going back to Eleanor and the change with the uh, gender identity for our forms for committees. I mean, that's it's a big deal, and so um, just want to make sure that you know. I know everybody's reading it, but just those highlights. The only question I had is, has that gone out to uh, our through our communication? Communicate. I'm not certain. We can make sure. And okay. Get that just double check because I don't. I didn't get a chance to tweet it out. That's what I wanted to do. So on that point, Kingsley, I, uh, I, I think one of the things we should feel very good about is what we've done with regard to racial equity and with regard to various social justice initiatives. I think these are major steps. I'm very proud of them. But they're hard to communicate simply other than just sort of say, hey, we've done a lot more because it's not enough. But there are all these detailed things, you know, coffee with a cop and you know, all the details that are taking place. So how to communicate that kind of, those activities in, in a way that the public really gets I think that's the the public gets action and they get effort, you know, and that's and not to say we shouldn't try harder to communicate, but uh, they want to see us working hard and they want to see us engaging and out there, and that's what you know that's what we're focused on right now. 
it's hard. I mean, this re these reports, we, we talk about this all the time internally to, to boil this down into a couple of bullets or a couple of uh, nice communication materials. It's, it's hard. It is. And it probably undersells what we're doing. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, too, is I think people also don't want us to be patting ourselves on the back too much either, to, like putting the foot off the gas. So it's a balance. But I, we have great communication staff, and I bet they can strike the right balance. Jim, to that point, I would say, you know, the only way that I could see of doing a better job of communicating doesn't really focus on staff, it's more focused on us. And so when we're going out in the community talking about different issues, how are we tying it back to social justice or racial equity? How are we talking about it um, in different ways to um, make sure the community is aware, but also if they have different concerns? I mean, obviously, we just talked about in, in depth about some concerns, some of our community members had. And so I think that's really the time. I would agree with Jeff. I mean, you know, the action speaks louder than words. Having this compiled, though, I think is important just in general for my own knowledge. When somebody asks me a specific question, well, you know, what is it, why, what is Iowa City doing in regards to um, trainings um, for cultural competency with the officers? I like, you know, go scroll, scroll to this uh, document to be able to provide that information because I do think it's important for our community to know that we're doing that work. But I would agree. I mean, I think it's, it's doing the work and then just having a place to pull that information. But I think it's incumbent on us to say, you know, I mean, I would say almost every single time, you know, saying that, you know, this is what we believe in. And I don't necessarily know it focuses on just this strategic planning priority. I think it's all of our strategic planning priorities around climate change, around um, uh, fiscal responsibility and um, having a strong foundation. I mean, all those different things. I think we need to do a better job campaigning and talking about. Agreed. Any other IP uh, items? All right, maybe we can do the council updates on assigned boards, commissions, committees, et cetera. So uh, let's start with Susan and move to the left. Um, the steering committee for the Access Center continues uh, to meet typically every couple of weeks. Um, Jessica Peckover had her last meeting last Tuesday, so she is now gone down to San Antonio. We'll miss her. Our new project manager will be on board uh, very shortly. One of the biggest things that, that people are working on right now with that is trying to understand how what we are trying to do here in Johnson County fits in with state legislation and um, the writing of the rules for the state-designated access centers because there's um, definitely some conflicts in terms of what we were planning to do and what they and their goals in terms of the legislation. So it's it's trying to figure out how we're going to fit in there and if we're not going to fit in there and not be a, quote, access center as defined by the state, um, do we still, will the centers and, and the people there still qualify for Medicaid and other funding streams? So a lot of, lot of research, a lot of talk, a lot of issues going on. Um, I think that's the only haven't had a Jack meeting lately, so that's it. Yeah. John, I don't I don't have anything to report on commissions and committees, but I, I did want to mention um, meeting. Uh, Sally Scott was in town, oh, uh, yeah. and she was down at Big Grove, and so I went down to say hello, and there were some folks there. Um, whose name uh, names I'm blocking on at the moment, but you know, <laughs> uh, Tracy and um, who's who's with uh, Tracy Ackenbach. Tracy Ackenbach and Marion Dennis. Dennis. Marion Dennis. Yeah. And you know, this was after last. This was 
two days after our last council meeting, which would had been kind of an interesting hmm. meeting with regard to the affordable housing question. And uh, it was it was just nice talking with them. They were very affirmative on, on what we're doing. They understand. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like the social justice question. You're never we're n nothing we do is ever going to be enough. We have to continually work and try to expand our, our reach on that. But um, you know, Marianne was saying how within the state of Iowa we are quite a ways ahead of any other city in terms of our affordable action, affordable housing actions. So it was it was just nice to hear that after after last Tuesday and. Uh, and then the following day, uh, we we had a tour of Kingsley and I of the wastewater treatment plant. Ashley and Tim led us on that. It's certainly worth seeing. And uh, one question that certainly came to my mind was the energy consumption associated with that facility. It is, I think, our highest. our largest consumer of energy. So, would you say the highest? Highest, yeah. Uh, if, if it's something we can do to try to reduce that consumption, uh, that would that would certainly be, you know, a worthwhile effort. I'm sure staff's been thinking about that. Flush less. <laughs> That'll help. <laughs> Hashtag. And then you know this is on Facebook Live. All right, all right. Got to focus, folks. The first time I rock me. Your turn. Something Joe said. Um, so my Dylan quote earlier was not by accident. Um, last year, Kevin Hannock approached John Kenyon of the City Literature, and he said, "I have an idea." Let's do a Bob Dylan tribute featuring local artists at the Angler, and let's donate all of the money to the City of Literature. And John said, that sounds like a terrific idea. Last year, they raised about $5,000. Um, it was so successful, they're doing it again. So get your pencils out and write down this date. Um, it is going to take place. Um, it's called Wheels on Fire, um, May 11th at 7 o'clock. Um, there's a general admission of 25 bucks, 15 for students, but for youth age 17 and under, they are free with a ticket purchase, um, presumably by adults. So it's going to be a great event, City of Literature, awesome local artists, great event, make some money, doesn't get better than that, and Bob Dylan, May 11th at 7 o'clock at the Englert Theater. And that's it. Thanks. Maz? I don't have any. We're going to meet on the May 22nd, I guess, every three months. That's why no more of that. Yeah. Kingsley? Kingsley. I mentioned the ECICOG meeting uh, that was last week in Cedar Rapids, and the meeting primarily focused on the uh, current actions and future plans on efforts to cut the congestion on major roadways, uh, particularly I-380. Uh, they're, uh, those of you on Facebook, they're trying a variety of marketing efforts for the Ride Shares program. You may have seen the colorful ad, um, Cut I-380 Congestion logo. It's pink and purple. It's very pretty. They, TV ads and billboards. Um, they're still referring to it as corridor rides. Um, 
they have potential for up to 26 van pools. They only have um, four currently, and they'd like to have four to five people in each of them. And 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 it's all the seven county area served by ECIOG because they mentioned they that currently now have a new one that runs from Davenport to West Branch. So we all think about Cedar Rapids and, and Iowa City, but uh, this one was Davenport to West Branch to, to again cut congestion. And they are talking about the plans for bus service. They're going to do uh, RFP either last week or this week with hopes to start by this fall with an express bus service. Uh, so this is this is good progress for that, I think. Yeah, good deal. Okay. So the CVB board met on April the 19th, and their discussion focused mainly on Ragbri, Run Crandic, FryFest, the Iowa Arena and Fieldhouse, and the relationship between the chamber, ICAD, and the new entity ICR, the Regional Economic Development Entity. So with regard to Run Crandic, I gather that was a big success over the weekend. I, I wasn't out there running. I don't know. Maybe there's some of our staff were. 26 miles. I, I don't Press know. coverage Did, did looks Julie run? Good. I don't know. Yeah, so it seems to have been a pretty big success. Did you run? Did you run? Did you run? Did you run? Video. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, and uh, the uh, uh, Partnership for Alcohol Safety is going to meet next week on May the 8th. And I'll report about that when it happens. Simon will report too. Okay, Gustav? Yeah, I just wanted to um, give a shout out to the Bicycle Advisory Committee that um, they first had their first standing meeting um, this, just a few days ago. Um, and that's going to lead to a lot of great success with the biking um, throughout the next coming years. Um, yeah. Okay. Good deal. Related to that, right before you break up, um, the annual bus, uh, bike, and car race between oh. U Heights, Coralville, North Liberty, Johnson County, Iowa City. I think you're all familiar with that. They're looking for an Iowa City Council representative to ride the bus. So this is a, a race that takes place. Uh, f um, between elected officials who ride buses, drive, ride a bike. Jim, I think you've done it before. I've done it several times, but uh, Mike Haverkamp from University Heights cheated two or three years ago. <laughs> he, br he, he brought his bike along with him, and so he rode the bus, and then when it, when the bus got downtown, he hopped on his bike and beat me by like three seconds. Not that you're bitter about it. Um, <laughs> but on M Monday, May 14th, uh, you'd have to be at the Coralville Library at 11.15, and the bus leaves the Coralville Library at 11.37. So it's fun to do. I hope one of you volunteer. I'm not going to this time. It is Monday, May 14th. I might do that. Pauline? I just ride the bus, not ride the biker. Okay. All you have to do is ride the bus. I'll do the bus. I'll email you. You, you draw whatever. straws when you get there. <laughs> I'll email you with the details. Okay, thanks. thanks. Okay, good deal. I think that's probably it. So we'll reconvene at, in 17 minutes for a formal meeting.